everybody. Welcome to another episode of Shock Treatment. I'm one of your hosts for this evening, Mel, and we have my awesome co-host, Maddie, as well this evening, and our first repeat guest, Mick Strawn, who's known for his work Mom. on Runaway Train, Blade, and Boogie Nights. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing good. Uh, <laughs> doing? I'm doing good. Let me let me add Nightmare on Elm Street 3, 4, uh, Mortal Kombat, Hercules, uh, the, the Hidden, Night of the Scarecrow, uh, uh, Fantastic Four. Uh, I forgot where we started. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, that one. <laughs> you have a long, you have a long list of work that we we all admire, love, and. We were so upset when we didn't have more time to talk to you the last time we had you on as a guest. Yeah. And I know the last well, time we well, had you on, you had just released the, the Nightmare on Elm Street book. Which, right. Uh, and I think that's yeah, as far yeah. as we got with the book. <laughs> I, I think I think about as far as we got was the mention of the book. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was... Yeah, this is uh you know what? I feel really weird about this. Um but I had moved to Tennessee uh in October last year with my wife and and uh my son and I bought a new bought a house uh on we bought actually we bought two houses on six acres. And uh, he moved into this gigantic house, and and we're remodeling this little tiny one. And I literally heard about COVID, and I, I, I was remodeling, and I ordered everything for the house in one load, and <laughs> have just been building my house ever since. Um, so I, all I can say is this: is uh, I've been used to, I've been getting used to things like fireflies. Uh, which, which to me are trip and, 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 you know, uh, people who live in, uh, the Tennessee in this area just kind of go, yeah, yeah, fireflies. So what, you know, I'll go, look at the fucking fireflies. This is amazing. <laughs> the grandkids must love it because I know for a brief period of time when I was a kid, I lived down in Delaware and the apartment complex we lived in, my sister and I would have at night during the summer with all the other kids that lived in the building and we would go outside and have competitions to see who could catch the most fireflies at night. So it's... Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they, they collect them in bottles. They collect them in bottles and then let them out again. And, uh, and they, they, they are uh, they are awesome. And, and the the kind of thing that I was getting to is that here, here, here it is, you know, uh, the whole world is falling apart. And... Uh, and for for once, uh, our life is going really nice. <laughs> and you're you're finding you're finding simplicity and something as simple as that to keep you kind of balanced out and yeah. remembering yeah. what good there you know, is in this world. Yeah, it, it, exactly. You, you know, the odd thing was that uh, I had I just finally made I made it to the East Coast, and and, and I thought that. Uh, I, I mean, I had probably uh, 15 uh, cons lined up, you know, because the East Coast has the cons and the West Coast doesn't have that many of them. And I was all ready to, uh, you know, just, uh, 
you know, sell books and, and, and yap to people and have a great time. And, uh, instead, um, I'm just stuck on, uh, uh, stuck on the ranch, uh, building a house and it's, I'm still having a great time. Yeah. I feel kind of guilty. Uh, I, 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 I need to make a cover story, you know, um, where I'm down in the trenches and, and, and people are throwing COVID, uh, used COVID-95 masks on me or something, but, you know, I ain't got nothing. Horrifying. No drama. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have any... So how are you doing? We're doing good trying to survive. I had my, I had my little COVID scare because I'm in the medical field, so... Mm. Luckily, nothing happened. Right. Uh, nothing came about that. Everything, you know, I've been days practicing my social distancing. I've kind of prepared for this moment my whole life because I pretty much don't like people on a daily basis anyways. So, you know, it's been great for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like anyone, and therefore, I'm doing great. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think a lot of people can, are having I that I can reaction. talk to people I need to talk to, and then I can ignore the rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, exactly. exactly. Well, yeah, you know me. I mean, usually I, I'm more gregarious than that, but um, there, ain't, there ain't nobody around to be gregarious with. So, um, yeah, it's... Uh, so the party's going to be I, I, I guess I'm... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come on over. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing my apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, 20 hours. Come on down. <laughs> How... Let's see, uh, where are you based out of? Mass. I'm in Rhode Island, and Maddie's in Massachusetts. Yeah. Okay, so you're from where? I'm from Rhode Island. Maddie's in Massachusetts. You're, oh, oh, Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Okay, so yeah. uh, you're you guys are uh, a ways away. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're out we're outside of Nashville now. And and if you had ever told me, I mean, I've been a West Coast. Boy, all my life. If you had ever told me that if there would be some point where I would uh, be uh, living in uh, the South, uh, I I would have shot you <laughs> dead. But um, but I have to say it's it's very pretty. What can I you know What can I say? You know, it reminds me of what Gabriel Garcia Marquez said about uh, South America. Uh, he, he said that uh, South America was m the most beautiful place in the world, so he created South Americans to even it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of what Tennessee is like to me. <laughs> and you've gotten to see a few of the seasons now, so, so far, what's been your favorite time of the year being down there? Oh, man, um, the winter is great. I mean, it just never gets all that cold. I mean, it gets a little cold, but, uh, but the winter is great and, and, and spring, but summer is really, really humid. Um, but I do have my office. I, I finished my office real quick. So I have my beautiful little office and, um, and I have a great air conditioner. <laughs> you, can't, you can't live in, you cannot live in Tennessee without a great air conditioner. Yeah. No way. A oh, my God. must have, for yeah. sure. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, so, guys. Other, yes, other, um, other than the work you've got going on in your house, do you have any film projects that you're working on currently? Or I actually, I actually do. 
I, uh, I, uh, I personally have a project where, um, uh, we've taken a lot of the stories that I've told over the years, uh, you know, particularly beans is a lot of them have been recorded on a podcast and, and my podcast and other people's podcasts. And we've been gathering them and, and, and gathering the rights. And we've been animating some of these stories. Um, have, I have different animators that are, uh, working on some of the stories. And, and, and what we want to do is we want to like do three or four of the stories, um, with, uh, uh me doing a little wrap around and, uh, probably within a year or, or maybe a year and a half, uh, you know, we would release them as, as 20 minute segments. Like an anthology film. And, uh, those are cool. Yeah, yeah, sort of, sort of an anthology, and, and you know, anthologies of the true behind the scenes, behind the behind the scenes, you know. Because yeah. uh, I, I, I've always had I've always had this problem with guys, with people that uh, uh, talk about you know behind the scenes, and they're they're not really behind the scenes. <laughs> It, it, it's not like the world of the grips, the world of the grips and the lighting guys and the makeup effects people and the props people and all the rest of that. And those are the kind of stories that I like to get into. Yeah, yeah, me too. Because those, those well, those are the fun stories, you know? Yeah. Um, it's sort of like, like in my book, Behind the Screens. I mean, you, you know, it, it's, I pretty much, uh, wrote a whole book about stories that nobody else had ever heard before about Nightmare on Elm Street, about one film, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 4, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and we've even gotten into some, you know, uh, some other stories from other people that, you know, like deep, deep, deep into the behind the scenes, um, you know, because uh, I personally think that that's kind of where some of the interesting stuff is because you know all that stuff that you already know and any stories that you already know kind of just serve as the background to these stories you know what i'm saying yeah yep it's sort of like it's sort of like if you're doing these if you're doing these stories as a painting then all the stories that you've heard before are kind of the the washy background <laughs> and my stories are the you know are all these uh weird characters that really don't talk to people very much. And, and I feel like I'm, I've got the voice for them. Otherwise zany, right. You know, I mean, just would have gone on down the line, you know? So I, uh, do you have any plans for any uh, future books? Another book, maybe. Okay. Um, yeah, I'd like to do one about nightmare on the street three. Uh, and, and I would call it behind the, behind the screams three. And uh, and then and then and in that way, I would be doing what uh, New Line Cinema should have done, and I've been skipping the second. <laughs> I could, I Everybody's could... favorite, episode, everybody's favorite movie. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, see, I have to, I have to do the drums for that. Pom, pom, pom. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, you could. You actually have a Scream Queen video for Nightmare um, on Elm Street. Well, that's smart. But, yeah, yeah, and, and 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 it has gotten. You know, it's almost like it has gotten so uh, tied into the uh, to the uh, question of the gay element in it that that it's almost hard to to think of the film 
as as a movie anymore. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. They're taking away from that, but at the same time, it helps with you know the current times. Oh yeah, no, no, no! Don't don't get me wrong. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, absolutely. And 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 holy hell, monster friend of mine, and all that. I I mean, it's it's just that that film. And 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 I got you got to hand this to Mark. Is is he has he has actually taken that film and and it made it made a, a motion picture into a rallying cry. You know, and 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 now the the mo- now it's it's more important to tie that film together with his film Scream Queens to tie those two together um, makes it more important than either one of them standing by themselves. I agree. You know, the the movement's bigger than it's bigger than that little old Nightmare on Elm Street movie nobody likes. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But and I know, know you also did work um, on that. Is, I think it was a, a fan funded um, the Friday the Thirteenth Vengeance movie. Yes, yes, I did. Uh, I did Friday's Thirteenth Vengeance, which uh, got released seven. I, I think it only got released seven or eight months ago, and it already has it already has one point five million views, um, which is pretty good for a fan film, huh? Yeah. Very good. <laughs> what, uh, what I I've seen a couple I I've seen a couple of the others that are out there and um yeah, I, we did pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I was, whenever I hear someone making a fan film, I always kind of go, "Ugh, I don't know." Um what what made you want to get involved in a fan film? Uh <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh it's one of those cases of uh, of you know, people are the actual movers of these things. It's, it's not. It doesn't seem to so much be the uh, the projects themselves. And I happened to be at a con and 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 had a guy go give me a taco or a burrito yeah. at Taco Bell because I was fucking. I was starving. I was so busy selling books that you know nobody was going to let me out of my seat, yeah. right? And so, uh, so Jeremy Brown, the director of that, shows <laughs> and gets me a burrito. <laughs> Okay, whatever works, right? And, and, yeah, it's whatever works. And, and then he showed me what he was doing, and uh, I turned around and said, "Really? This is what you got? Oh, this is all wrong. This is a bunch of shit." Pilot, let me go <laughs> get you a taco if you work on my movie. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, but and, and, and so so then he just shut the project down that he was de- doing. He started all over again. And and how how do you turn that down? I mean, when somebody does that and says, "Well, I did everything you said," <laughs> what the hell do you do then? Yeah. You, you pretty much got to, you pretty much got to join it, or you're just a dick, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, come on, you know, it's a, I'm I'm not a stone cold dick. I couldn't walk away from that one. <laughs> you would you would break so, a heart. So then then it. It's what I said. You would break a heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell, I'd break my own heart. You know, I've got standards. I got okay. They're little tiny standards, but I still got them. (laughs) (laughs) And I know right now, I know working on a fan film for um, Freddy versus Jason. Are you going to be a part of that as well? No, because I, I'm. 
basically I'm just too busy working on on the one that I've got on my uh, my animation series and 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 I have two podcasts uh, and I'm trying to remodel my house and you know blah 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 and on and on and on and, and yeah you don't want to have any I have a question for yeah, you. Yeah, he, he approached me. Yes, go and ahead. If a fan film raises the money to get Robert England and Kane Hodder for a Freddy vs. Jason movie, is it still considered a fan film? Yes. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. Kate, here's a, it's, a good, it's a good question, though, because then you get into union situations, and then the question comes up of, of who has... The rights. Yeah, here, here's the here's here's who's who's got the rights, and and the thing is, is the rights, the way the rights are set up for the Jason films right now is very specific. Mm. I mean, uh, I, I mean, there are absolute rules. You cannot do it. You cannot spend more than fifty thousand dollars on it. Um, you have that there you cannot make any money off of it it has to anybody that is made has to be turned over to charity mm. there are there you can't have actors in it that are uh members of IOTSI. i mean or, or members of, of the uh, of the guilds yeah. right so there are there are a lot of rules that you have to follow in order to do that here's mm. the thing i'm not sure that the Jason versus Freddy film as a fan film, they would have trouble getting anybody that, that, you know, like either Freddy or, or uh, hotter because there's, that's got to be break, breaking all kinds of actual laws. I thought actual laws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. I didn't know there were so many like actual rules that came with that. Cause the whole thing, whenever I didn't you, either with fan films, you all, you know that you can't make money off of it and you know, there's copyright issues. So that's always kind of like the thing that I say is like, well, I mean, you could either spend all that money and, you know, a few people get to see it, or you can spend all that money and the wrong people see it, and now you're getting sued. Like, I never really kind of figured out what the the plus side, other than making, you know, something fun for, you know, people to see on YouTube type deal. But, yeah, I never knew that it was that well, so much, uh, so many rules and red, you know, red tape around. Have that. you, have, yeah, have you seen Vengeance? Not yet. I will, Not though. yet, but I have, oh it, my God. I have it on my queued up list to watch probably tonight after we're done with Okay, here's the thing. Well, let me tell you, within the actual parameters set out by uh, by Paramount, yeah. this film is as close as you can get to actually being, to actually looking uh, and, and being like uh, a Jason film. Hmm. I mean, I, I'm not kidding. <laughs> check, you ought to check it out, and you'll go, "Oh my god, <laughs> we got really, really close." And and there was a specific thing that I was trying to that I was trying to prove mm -hmm. was that if you take if if you take certain elements out of filmmaking these days, you can make a you know just almost a shot for shot quality uh, uh, film. If you're not involved with, uh, because look, the, the cameras are less expensive than they ever were. Mm -hmm. um, the equipment out there's a, a much higher range of equipment out there. 
then then and and this doesn't go for the cameras, but but also it also goes for you know drones. That, you know you don't need cranes. That you your your lighting is inexpensive. Uh, it, you don't have to have film. I got to tell you. People don't think about it this way, but, you know, back in the day, if in the 80s, even if somebody gave me a camera and gave me lighting equipment in order to just go make a film myself, you know, go make a short film, you still had to develop it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you know, so that means that, you know, if you were trying to do quality work and you've got a 35 millimeter film and you wanted to make a, maybe a, a, a four minute short, uh, it's still going to cost you ten thousand dollars to in film and developing costs. Right. So that's a pr- that's a, a pretty high in the eighties money. So that's a pretty high bar right there. That bar does not exist anymore. I can reach in my pocket. Yeah. I can reach in my pocket, yeah. and I will have probably uh, the equivalent of a. Five hundred thousand uh, dollar film uh, film kit from you know from the eighties, the equivalent right there in my pocket, and have a lot of special effects in it, and be able to edit it. Yeah. And if you and if you know what you're doing, if if you wrote a film that was uh, that was uh, savvy enough that it took up the uh, shortcomings uh, of the fact that you know the camera was coming out of your pocket, you would be able to do a great film. Yeah. Now, because anybody can get together with a bunch of equipment and make really bad film. <laughs> Trust <It's>, me. <laughs> there's plenty of them out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, holy shit. <laughs> there's there's so many examples. <laughs> So, next question. Mel, you got one? Or? I was going to let you go and sing. I haven't right, shut up uh, yet. Let's let's <laughs> let's pop into some of uh, some of uh, some more of Mick's other films that he worked on. Um, we got um, well. Last time we kind of talked about Nightmare on Elm Street three, uh, I believe, and um, was a part the work that went into the junkyard scene and whatnot. Yeah. We went into all and, and how long it took and stuff. So, well, for anybody listening, that's in our archive back in our older episodes under the uh, Best of WBOB uh, episode, so you can pop into that. But um, let's start with Candyman since we got a nice we got a, there's a there's a reboot coming up. So okay, have, have you have you seen <laughs> have you seen the trailer for the uh, yeah, Candyman I, reboot? I ha- I haven't yet. Uh, but like I say, I've been busy. Yeah. I was going to. Uh, um, I, I had an interesting uh, role in Can- in Candyman in the original. Um, have I? Have you ever heard the story of that? No, I love to. Because no. this is a great story. Hell yeah! So, so at, at that point in my career. I had started to become a fixer <laughs> and uh, um, kind of uh, going on to films and, 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 you know, getting into really, really bad situations and trying to straighten them out. And um, I got this call from a, a guy who uh, 
was I can't think of his name. Alan it's a producer or something. Anyway, I uh, he says, "Eh, come on down to the uh, we're down at the old SNA stages. Uh, come on down. Uh, I got a situation that, that I really think that uh, your skills would be able to uh, uh, help me straighten this out." I said, "Sure, sure," and, it, and so. So I show up and, and and he goes, okay, look, here's what I want. He says, I'm having problems with my art department. And I go, problems with your art department? Holy shit, you're, you're, you're two thirds of the way through filming. You're, you're on the stage. This is the glory part. This is, <laughs> you, you made it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you, you've done your location. They'd already come home. They, they'd just gotten there from Chicago, you know? Uh, the sets were up or at least, you know, some of them were up and, and they were on and they were on the stage filming. And in fact, we were in the office right next to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, I said, that's, that's, that's a home run for you. I mean, you know, why the hell you need me? He goes, well, he says, you know, I mean, we're just having, uh, organizational problems. There's no organizational problems. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so we sat down, we made, we made a deal, you know, uh, he said, so do you want to fire the production designer and just take over the production designer? I go, well, I don't think so. That sounds uh, pretty drastic. Uh, why, don't we, why don't we just do this? I'll come on as a supervisor and I'll, and you know, I'll just uh, take a look around and, 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 you know, do what I can. And, and, you know, it, it, as long as everybody knows that, that I actually do have the authority to, uh, to be a prick, then I don't have to actual actually be a prick. Right. If you see what I'm saying, mm-hmm. you know, yep. uh, it's sort sort of like uh, the guy that's got the fast car, but he doesn't ever have to really race because he's everybody knows he's got the fast car, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so so I walk up. So I say, okay, great, and I signed a deal. But now I was going to show up the next day. On the stage, but I'm already down by the stage. It's already afternoon, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to peek my head in to the stage, see how it's going, see what see what it looks like, and just kind of nosy, you know, mosey around. And and this one you could act that. <laughs> Nowadays, I mean, everybody is checked into and off of every stage everywhere. Back, but back then, it it wasn't really that way. You know, I mean. Yeah. People is people, and nobody would. You, you know, as long as you, uh, as long as you you acted like uh, you belong there, well, you belong there. So I I just uh, went over and I waited until red light went out, and I slid onto the dark stage. Now here's the thing. I'm standing, <laughs> but the the studio stand. That's where you, you just stand there for a while and try and let your your eyes adjust to uh to the the dark, right? Mm-hmm. I'm standing there, and my eyes are adjusting to the dark, and I and I'm in front of me is the back of the stage, and over to my left is the uh, craft service table, and with the coffee machines down there, and all of a sudden, and and the the stage kind of goes off at an angle in front of me, right? You know, but but I can only see the back of it. And uh, all of a sudden, the, an old man <laughs> comes peeling around the corner of the stage, 
he runs across, just almost slams into me, but runs in front of me. Um, and he goes over to the coffee machine, you know, and it's, you know, it's old style coffee where there's just one pot after the other, right? You know, sitting on the, uh, the hot, the, the things that keep them hot, the hot plates, right? Yeah. And he grabs, he literally grabs a full thing of coffee, the full pot, picks it up, turns around, runs back the other way in front of me, and then disappears around the corner and goes onto the stage. And I was like, okay, I got to follow that. Yeah. <laughs> I got to see what the hell that's all about. <laughs> so so I go down and I just kind of like mosey on around the edge of the stage. And here's what I see. I see that they're in they're they're in the Chicago apartment. They're in the the nicer one, right? You know. Yeah. And and the entire crew, including Candyman, <laughs> the entire crew is. And I see them first. I see everybody. The whole crew and everybody is standing behind the the uh, camera, looking off to to my left again. Right? You know. And I'm like, well. Well, that's weird. That's something you just don't see. Yeah. <laughs> Usually somebody, and and I come all the way around, and there's the production designer. The production designer has got the full decaf copy, and the DP. That's who. That's who was running around. The, the DP ha, has got the, and they're both older. And, and the DP has got the, the full fuel copy, and. <laughs> They're both inexpertly, I might add, <laughs> trying to throw hot coffee on each other. Oh my god! In front of the whole, in front of the whole crew, right? And I was like, I was watching this, and and by the way, I have to tell you, <laughs> you know, it's not as easy as you might think <laughs> yeah. to actually throw coffee out of one of those things, <laughs> yeah. because as you do it sort of sloshes and it tilts the thing up and just a little an embarrassing little blob of cocktail will go eh, eh, right in front of me. So it's, I watched that for a couple of seconds and I thought huh huh and, and somebody was going by and I and I say who are those two because I really didn't know who it was you know I yeah. said who are those two and she goes well the the woman with the decaf is the production designer and the guy with the uh, regular coffee is the DP. I said, does this happen often? And she, looked, and she looked at me and she goes, this has been what it's like since the first day of filming. And I was like, oh, I see. So I and turned around. walking around the room. Totally. And I got to tell you, here's, here's what I did. I walked back into the guy's office, right? And I said, hey, you know where I've been? I've just been on stage. And they're over there. They're trying to kill each other. I'll tell you what. <laughs> We're going to sit down and rework that deal. <laughs> <laughs> and we did. And I play, I literally stood between those two motherfuckers through the whole show. That's all I did on the show. It was, was make sure that those two stayed separated and didn't try and kill each other. Yeah. So you got to play Rafa Ray. Yeah, that's what I I I 
I have played romper room with those two motherfuckers, you know, uh, or, or the Keystone Cops yeah. or uh, Captain Kangaroo or what, whatever you want. I I literally got in between those guys maybe 10, 15 times a day, it, and and it was, it was a full-time job. I think it lasted for about four weeks, and I had to stop those two from killing each other. And when we stopped filming, I went home, and that was, that was it, and I made a boatload of money. Hell yeah! Sounds good to me. That's, Who's in the that, that was my yeah, yeah. You know, I got to sit and you know, in between rounds, uh, I get and sit and sit and hang out with Tony Todd and everybody else, and it was great. Yeah, I was going to say, what was Tony, Tony Todd is just the yeah. sweetest guy in the world. He really is. He man. really is. You got a nice, yeah, I got. I gotta tell you, yeah. When that guy, that guy would be watching what's going on. When he would roll his eyes, it was like the biggest expression you've ever seen on anybody's <laughs> face in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tony can tell you a whole story just by looking at you, and you know yeah. everything he's saying. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's a great actor. He said, "I wouldn't." He said, "I wouldn't want to be in your shoes." And they go, well, "You know, <laughs> believe me, I have nothing invested in all this at all." <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's great when you're hired just specifically to make sure two people are not idiots to each other. It, it was it was unique. It was the the first and the last time that it, that specifically I had ever had that job. Yeah. Was uh, was Clive Barker on set at all? No, never. Oh, no, no. Um, um, he was probably. You got to remember, Clyde Barker was a big deal at that time. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he had a lot of different things. He had a lot of different things. Uh, uh, you know, I yeah. he was probably back in England working on, you know, like the fourth or fifth segment of Hellraiser. Yeah. Okay. Or actually, actually, Hellraisers came to America after the second or third, didn't they? I think so. I think they did. I think that I they were the made in America. Yeah, yeah, the third one was definitely America. Yeah, I. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I didn't understand the first one. It was really weird because I I I didn't see the first one until like three years ago or something. Yeah. Um. And and in my in my defense, I have to say this: I was making those films. I didn't have time to go out and see them. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, it's like we were. Yeah, I think that we were doing Nightmare on Street three while he was doing Hellraiser, right? Yeah. And I, I said so the timing was somewhere in there, and and all all, all I did was all I did was hear about it. You know, it, it's not uh, if if I swear I don't think that I actually saw that many films in you know in between uh, ninety eight. And eighty-two. <laughs> was there just, just because I was busy making them? Was there big buzz about Hellraiser? Like when you're over here working on, you know, you, these bigger horror films? I know are they are they talking about people getting anticipating, you know, other you got other big horror filmmakers, uh, you know, works coming up. Yeah, yeah. You know the the thing that was really anticipated yeah. that we were really running tit and tat for though uh, was the Evil Dead series. Hell yeah! Uh, that because they were done 
pretty much in, at the same time as we were doing ours. Yeah. And and um, <laughs> we kept switching crews back and forth, and crew members would come and day play from one and go to the other and stuff like that. And we were always kind of kind of careful from the points of view of like we would touch base with parts of our crew and and spies to make sure that we weren't duplicating each other's shit. Yeah. Because you have, you have to understand, it's like, you know, if somebody has a revolving room, like Nightmare on Elm Street 1 had the revolving room with the blood coming through it and stuff, right? Yeah. You don't want, you don't want to be the one that's across the town that didn't know that, and they have a revolving room doing nearly the same gag. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So we, we all stayed... We all kind of stayed in touch with each other. It's a small community, really was. <laughs> yeah, so you you must have had crew people coming back saying, "You guys gotta, you know, you gotta see this new director, Sam Raimi, you know, with his camera work and yeah, such that yeah. was so different for the time." Yeah, yeah, what a time! Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a great time, and you know, it, uh, uh, it and, uh, and we were being copied by people. I, I remember going. To see it. New Line Cinema was looking at a film, and uh, they invited me down to, to ask my opinion of it. Uh, and, and I got to see a film called Chinese Ghost Story. Mm. Um, just 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 about the time that we were doing Nightmare on Elm Street Four, uh, I think that uh, maybe just right at the end, near the end of it, or something. And they were doing Chinese Ghost Story, and it was like there was so much of that that was taken right off of Nightmare on Elm Street Three. Except for we could we could see what it was like when if how it could be done if there if labor didn't cost anything at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's like there was a, there was this ladder scene in in um, uh, in Chinese Ghost Story where uh, these creatures are coming up from hell mm-hmm. and, and and they're coming up a ladder. And the camera is looking down the ladder un- that goes underneath the floor and goes down to hell, right? Yeah. And you see all of these stop-motion creatures fighting to get up the ladder. But the thing that's interesting about it is that they had enough people that they could put in that every one of those creatures was moving every time. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... You have to think about it. You don't really see a lot of uh, stop motion where all the creatures are moving at once where you have, like, maybe 200 creatures, right? Mm. And the reason for that is that you'd have to have 200 people operating. Yeah. Because everybody has to go out and move their character like a quarter of an inch, right? Mm-hmm. And the Japanese... And the, the, they could do that, the, the Chinese... Chinese could do that, and we couldn't. <laughs> yeah. It was some yeah, mind shit. I mean, on his costume, you know, in that, you know, type of deal. So was that you could? But yet, like, like, like Japanese, like with you know Godzilla, where you could see the zipper on the back of his costume. Oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah, but that was a yeah, yeah, but that was such a specific thing, though. You know, I mean. uh it was no. I'm, what I'm saying, they can do all of that, and you know, certain movies they can't do the same thing for whatever right. reason. Well, yeah, the Japanese horror. Oh, right, films, right, 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 right. 
are, all, are usually always that's a, pretty solid. That's a really, yeah. Th- yeah, that, that was a really specific uh, <laughs> specific thing because if you if you look at like uh, um, uh, like Godzilla, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Godzilla, like like the most recent one uh, um, that was made uh, in in Japan Shin was Godzilla also one? made with right Shin Godzilla. I yeah, loved Shin fun. Godzilla. I really did. Yeah, that was good. And it, yeah, it was good. And, and I thought to myself, you know, it there is nothing different about it as far as how the effects were done. There's a a little bit more of of like optical uh, of using CGI, you know, for little details and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, it was still like true to that form. And uh, and there have been so many films that were made that way that were true to that form actually all with the same guy in the suit yeah i mean shin godzilla i think was pretty close to the third to the last of his films and that always been the same guy in the suit all those oh, really? years interesting i didn't know that yeah That's awesome. yeah yeah no he, he had played godzilla in like something like 60 films I didn't even realize there was that Godzilla movie, so I'm definitely missing a few of those. The only thing oh my god, they're everywhere. Yeah, oh, yeah. That, that's a, that's a whole other. You know, the thing is, is that's a whole parallel universe. The Japanese uh, uh, Godzilla films, right? Shin Godzilla is is probably one of the ones that was the best known. Uh, done, you know, that was done recently. recently. But I think three other ones were done before he died. You know, uh, that were basically only released to, uh, uh, Japan. Yeah, I believe that. It's almost like there's a whole other world out there. <laughs> it's true, yeah, you know what I mean? Who would have thought it? <laughs> the only thing I didn't like about that... Who would have? The Shin Godzilla, the only thing I didn't really like about that was, uh, when he's in, like, the baby form in the beginning and he had those weird googly eyes. That kind of threw me off a little yeah. bit. Yeah? That threw me off a little bit, but I like the rest of it. <laughs> you know, Godzilla is the Superman. You know, you get old. You get older. You get older, <laughs> and you kind of want to have your monsters. You know, giving that lovely goo- googly eye every <laughs> yeah, once in a while. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> you have you have any any funny stories about being on set and working with Robert on the Nightmare on Elm Street set? Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I got a couple interesting. I. I, I tell you, there, there's one that I always thought was, uh, yeah, you, you know, Robert, Robert's probably got to be one of the most, uh, um, he told a story to me that, that, that you can read in my book, uh, about, uh, holding out. He, he went to a party in Europe, uh, and, and Deneuve is there and all these like incredible, uh, directors, like the, the guy who directed 10, uh, Ten, the movie Ten mm-hmm. and stuff, and he's at at this park, and and he begins to realize that they don't cons- that they didn't consider um, horror films to be I- any that's different good. than the normal films. Oh, that's good. Than regular dramas or comedies, and and it's really true. And 
And the funny thing about it is that they, they were just considered films. And, and he noticed this um, when he he was uh, over there uh, touring for the, the release of uh, uh, one and two. And, and, oh, it was for three, right? When he, he was, uh, he said all the parties, you know, everybody treated, um, you know, Nightmare like any other film, right? Which you have to understand that today horror films have, you know, like maybe 95% status of regular films, right? Yeah. But in the 80s, in the 80s, I- I'm telling you, we were down. We were down there with. Uh, I used to describe people this way: is that you, you know the the uh, uh, the hierarchy uh, yeah. of horror films of us who made horror films was like uh, just uh, just above porn and and yeah. underneath showbiz lawyers. We were right. <laughs> we were right down there. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And, and, and he. Yeah, well, you, you see, and you don't understand what was that that was like because we were totally in our own world. Yeah, I mean, it was like not, you know, it, it was a, uh, it was sort of like a, uh, like a version of Jim Crow. You know, we had our our, our own faucets. Horror only it was over here. It was different. It was a different faucet, it was right? Bad. Yeah, you know, you go to the bathroom. We had to wash our hands over there. Uh, yeah. It was just a pipe coming out of the wall. Yeah, it was definitely the black sheep of the was, movie uh, business. Right, the black sheep. <laughs> we were totally, totally the worst. <laughs> so, so he noticed that that they considered it just like normal, right? So when he comes, he comes back and, and he said he was sick and and he didn't want to come to the set for the first shots of Nightmare on Elm Street Four because they were going to be in the junkyard. And, and and so, literally, Bob Shea is talking to Rick Bake, Rick Barker, who is the um, stunt uh, coordinator, and also is uh, Freddie's double, right? Yeah. And he's very good at duplicating Freddie. And and uh, Bob, to, uh, Robert comes from. Uh, from Europe, and he wants the European. He wants a big chunk of the European rights to Nightmare on Elm Street Four before he'll sign on for it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is an argument between him and Bob. And in the meantime, we had already been putting. I mean, I was. We were literally building the uh, junkyard set before. Before they got a fucking director on there, because we because we were running out of time. Because the the film literally we started in February and the film got released August thirteenth. Yeah. So that gives you an idea of how fast. I mean, you know, that's an incredibly small window to do that much work. Yeah. That's why there aren't that many obstacles in it is because we didn't have time to do them, right? Mm. So. So, so Robert finally goes, listen, uh, Robert finally, he has all these arguments and he's got a cold and, and he's, he's fighting the flu and he, he finally settles, uh, I, I don't know what the deal was, but he, he got a big chunk of the European rights to it and, and they bring him out onto set. And, and, uh, it, it, in the meantime, uh, there was all kinds of wrangling going around, 
going around because Rick Rick Barker refused uh, to uh, to go on set and replace him doing any uh, uh, first unit shots, right? And so he refused. He, uh, he he comes he comes onto the set. Yeah, and 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 he goes, "Oh my god, this set's fucking amazing!" And he's and he just kicks everybody off the set, and he just the the lit set, the lit junkyard, which was you know basically we built that on a lot that was next to the junk next to a car junkyard, and we bought all the cars in the junkyard. And we moved them through a hole in the fence and and stacked them in a very, very specific way and then made according to a model that I had made and then the and then that was being built at the same time as the model for it was being built that was used on the optical. And so it was a very complex deal, but uh he comes on and, and he said the set just blew him away and the set that the two hours that he t- that he inhabited that set before they started filming, his first shot was that reveal of Freddie, right? Mm-hmm. You know where the the camera's moving along the car parts on the ground. Yeah, yeah, and, and then it comes right up to him. Right, right, and and he, and and it was funny because I was talking to the editor about it. And the editor had um, Michael Canoe. It said he couldn't understand why it specifically had to be Robert England to to uh, be in the rubber suit, you know. And I said, and and, and we're always discussing. It. I go, no, no, dude, you don't understand. And and he says, I never understood it until we got the dailies, until we got the film on that first day of filming. And he says, and I saw that shot where the shot comes and follows the car parts and then comes all the way up. Freddie's posing there like that. And he says, you know what? That's an actor that's doing that. That's an incredibly talented actor that pulls that off, right? Mm. Yep. And, uh, yeah. And, and, and that, and that was Freddie. And he said that the, just the look of that junkyard, you know, in, inhabited, what Freddie was through that film it was flamboyant and 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 super visual, right? I mean, the junkyard scenes and, in those and, movies are the most memorable scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's funny that the the first junk when I built the the junkyard for three, it's like uh, I had like kind of the same concept, you know. Uh, and my my concept in it was like uh, my concept on three to me is that it was more of an adventure film than it was of a horror film. Yeah, at least from my point of view, right? Uh, it, I wanted it to be like um like like a funky weird circus that had landed in town, right? Mm-hmm. And was uh, sitting in, in the uh, it was sitting in the parking lot of uh, 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 of your uh, Kmart, right? <laughs> a, a, but a really weird, funky one. So that was the idea of my design, right? And then when I walked away from it, I thought, okay, the next motherfucker is Disneyland, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's exactly what it was. <laughs> so, like I said, and, and it was a really memorable scene. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, it, 
brother was a great guy to hang up, hang around. I mean, the, the guy, the guy was born talking and he hasn't stopped yet. You know, I mean, he, he just talks all the, every, all the makeup guys talk about how hard it is to actually deal with, uh, doing makeup on him because, uh, he, he can not physically stop talking. And he said it before to me. He says, you know, he, he, he re, re, kindles his energy by talking and this is a funny thing is i'm very i'm pretty much the same way you know i mean these these podcasts actually get me going you know uh i uh i i can i I love putting energy into it and that's what robert does i remember one time but i remember one time walking with him at the end of the day from the stage on nightmare on street four and he's starting to rip the uh to rip the makeup off of his face all the pieces and stuff right and yeah so we're walking between we're walking between the stage and and his trailer now there's nobody around it's probably four o'clock in the morning right there's nobody around that there's security we're within a, a, a fairly fenced in area that's right beside this row of warehouses that are brand new and uh and as we're walking down we're just we're just talking and um and when we got to the trailer, I mentioned something about, because uh, he would just take a piece, he'd rip it off, and he'd just drop it, and he'd rip it and drop it. And I don't know, I I, I said something about, um, yeah, you know, you better be careful because you could get, like, a ticket for littering. And he says, oh, yeah? He says, where's the evidence? And I turn around, and I look back, and there is nothing there, absolutely nothing. And we had walked, we had walked probably maybe 150 feet, you know, from the door opening to what, and it's a straight run, 150 feet, straight run. And I, all I can see is trailers on one side and the stage on the other. And there was not a piece. It's pretty well lit. And there was not a piece of anything on the ground anywhere. Wow. He goes, he goes, he says, I sort of got, he says, I don't care where I am. And it can, you, you don't, see them but we are completely surrounded by fans that are hiding everywhere you possibly imagine <laughs> i thought that fucking freaked me out <laughs> <laughs> so as he's throwing the pieces there the fans that are on hiding around the area are picking up the pieces for memorabilia right right absolutely absolutely you're like wow where the hell are these people hiding? <laughs> right that's crazy <laughs> oh it's it, absolutely Absolutely crazy, you know. You're like, wow, that's uh, that's weird. And 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 especially when you're you're involved in business and stuff, yeah, you know, that that's even another layer of things that you don't see. You know, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, there you go. Did you get your piece of it for a souvenir? <laughs> um, no, I'm not a souvenir guy. I don't think no. I have souvenirs of anything. I mean, really, just not. Yeah. Oh, I sort of got, I sort of got, I've had people, you have to understand this is I have people that call me up like, um, what are they? They're, um, dealers or something of, 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 uh, movie memorabilia. Yeah. They, they call me up. I mean, literally I get phone calls. I get, uh, text messages. I get messenger. I get, uh, emails, uh, every way that you can, 
every way you can possibly, you know, and I really hate it. It's like, hey, man, you know, you wouldn't happen to have any critters left for, <laughs> from critters too, or you wouldn't happen to have, you know, like just just a, a glove from Nightmare on Elm Street. And, yeah. and, and I feel like saying, you know, dude, really, honestly, if you had even asked me a day after the film had ended uh, filming, all I was trying to do was throw shit away. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's what the fans got from you. I wish I could have that stuff, too. That's what? All the fans hiding on the set got from you. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, I'll give you a really good example. Because, hey, how about, like, that walker set that has the, which wasn't really a no, it's the, no, it's the one that had the uh, rake across it, the uh, Freddy Claw rake across it. Remember yep. the light coming, coming back through that? Okay, that piece, I made that piece. Uh, I tried to turn it over to other people, and they never got it right. And so I had to go out and literally put it together and cut it myself, um, which was probably just me kind of being a dick. But... Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I still, to this day, <laughs> remember just watching them throw that onto a dumpster, along with everything else, you know. Uh, and, and I don't know why, but to this day, I just I specifically remember that going by, thinking to myself, wow, you know, I should keep that. But then thinking, well, where the hell would I put it? <laughs> you well, you're building your house now. Room. Now you're going to regret it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't regret it. I would have had to have hold, held on to it for how many years? This is, yeah. <laughs> Thirty-eight years or something like that. Thirty-five years? I don't know. I, I don't <laughs> look. I, I'm lucky. I'm lucky to have actually been able to hold on to my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I held on to her for that long. Isn't that that's what my real job was, right? Very true. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, everything else, everything else, I got it in memory. You know, literally, uh, there was an earthquake uh, in California, and uh, I was in um, I was in New Zealand shooting Hercules, and my wife and family were there, and we were there for a year and a half. Well, in that year and a half, we we just took all of our, our stuff and we loaded it um, into a um, a storage unit, you know, uh, we sold as much as we could. And I think the storage unit was like a 20 by 15 by 10 foot high. Right. You know, and it, and it had everything that we owned. And, uh, this would have been like 94, I think 1994. Um, and so we were in New Zealand and there was, there was an earthquake. You might've heard of it. The Northridge earthquake. Um, while we were, while we were there and we thought, Oh, that we were so lucky because, uh, we didn't have a house at that point. And, uh, you know, and, and all, uh, and we were fine, you know, and everybody was good. We weren't dealing with the, you know, the horrors of like California all broken up and stuff. Mm. And then, um, about six months later, we, we landed back in LA from New Zealand and went up to the place, uh, where we had stored absolutely everything that we owned in the world and it was gone. 
because the place that we had stored everything in was a storage unit sitting right directly at the epicenter here, right at the epicenter of it. I mean, oh it was, it, it was, it was literally a pile of rubbish that had been, you know, that, that they were bulldozing like that week when we went by. I was like, Oh, that is fucked up. And they, and they didn't even <laughs> let you guys know. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure that they did, but the communication between, uh, LA and, uh, New Zealand was uh, kind of rough back then. It was, this was before, you know, the, the internet and stuff. And, uh, and, and, and also because everybody was just dealing with real problems up to that point, yeah. you know, uh, LA was still putting itself back together and, and basically it was just a storage unit that had disappeared. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I don't even have any photographs, you know, um, or, or anything. Everything was wiped out. Oh. Wow. I mean, not that I ever collected much in the first place, but uh, at least I had photographs, and now I don't have those either. So this was back when, this was back, you see, you used to take a photograph, and it used to go on to something called film. Yeah. And that was no more. <laughs> so, there's that. Well, in, well, in a more Anything pos- else? more positive note, hopefully. Um, you, uh, worked with, yeah. you worked with legendary Anthony Perkins, um. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. He he was a goon. He was a goon. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you an Anthony Anthony Perkins story. This is great. Anthony Perkins was um he was interesting. Yeah. He was he was he was pretty old at, at that point and um <laughs> and he used to like to uh trip every once in a while. <laughs> you know, trip. Yeah. And, and one 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 day, I I'm like, I could hear you know coming through on the radio. I could hear that that everybody was looking for Anthony Perkins, and and I wasn't looking for him. I, I I was trying to put some kind of gag together. I was doing special effects on that show, and I had and we're shooting in a warehouse somewhere, and there was a scene dock at the very back. There is a scene dock in every stage uh, that has a bunch of flats in it. And the scene dock is where you put the flats for walls when you're uh, not shooting them. You know, like when you're, you're somewhere, when, when you come onto a set, it's a set is, is four walls and all put together yeah. and you'll shoot the opening shots. But then, then you take out like two, two of the main walls and it might be a whole bunch of pieces. You just take all those pieces apart and you scene dock them. Right. Yeah. And and you just nail them in the back, and, and it's like uh, there's one right after the other, or after the other, and put together, it looks like a library book, you know, like boom, 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 boom. And some of the distances between the flats would be, you know, anywhere between six inches up to like four feet, right? Mm-hmm. And they're calling, they're calling, they can't find Anthony Perkins, and, and I walk past the scene dog. And... And I, I didn't even think about it, and I walked right past it, and then I go, oh, wait a minute, what the hell did I just see? You know, it's like one of those things, because it's dark, right? You know, it's, you know, the lights aren't all on, and, 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 and like, and I, and I go, what the hell is it? And I go back, and, I, and between 
two flats that are about three and a half feet apart. I see Anthony Perkins in the dark, in standing right about in the middle of two ten foot flats, right? Mm-hmm. And and one flat has a door, but of course the door doesn't open because it's on a scene docked flat, right? Yeah. And the next when the next flat over is a window that's looking onto coincidentally a brick wall that was the third flat down, right? Yeah. So from his point of so he I just stand there for a minute and I look at him and he look and he'll be standing looking at the door and he try the door and then turn around and, and, and he'd look at deep inside and he'd look at the window and there's nothing but there's brick in the window. And he'd look at that for a second, then turn back around and try the door again. <laughs> and then, then turn back around and look at the window. <laughs> and I watched him do that for about five minutes. I just like, <laughs> yeah. wow, this is so fucking cool. I, it, and I, and the thing is, is there had been rumors that, you know, that he, had, he had had, like, you know, some pretty interesting days, and I knew, he, and I'm sorry, I've been there before. Yeah. <laughs> I, I knew that he was, yeah, no, 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 I didn't. I had just been there before, yeah. and I knew where he was, and he wasn't <laughs> with us. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to go... So I went back and I led him out of his conundrum and, and back out, you know, and handed him over to the AD. And I wished the AD luck. And I went back back to my work. <laughs> Good luck with that. Have a nice day. <laughs> That's great. That's what it was. Like. Yeah, it was great. That's kind of what it was like to work. <laughs> he deserves his own biopic. I'd love to watch that movie. Oh yeah, the Wild Times. What oh, was his biopic? Oh no, yeah. I said how did should. it represent him? No, no, no. I said they should. I'd love to watch one. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. It's a really interesting guy, but uh, but um, yeah. <laughs> He, he was very erudite. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was so erudite. He was erudite, but he was erudite in a really strange way because he was one of those guys that <laughs> he was erudite at the same time he could get just get completely lost, right? Yeah. And that's not a great combination. Mm. <laughs> it's not a great combination to be leading a conversation into the sky <laughs> and then forgetting that you're driving a Toyota. You see what uh, I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got it, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder yeah, if he yeah, was... Exactly, so... I wonder if he uh, some of that creepiness of Norman Bates was because he was uh, dripping out <laughs> on the screen. Interesting. Make things, uh, make, it makes you wonder. A lot more. Yeah. yeah, it makes you wonder. Yeah, yeah, you know, a lot creepier. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, puts everything anyway. in perspective now. He was tripping. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, you know, it was one of those guys that you didn't want to walk up and, dude, you're tripping. Because yeah. he would be tripping. <laughs> dude, you're tripping. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I didn't know you were tripping. 
<laughs> so how was anything it? else from you too? Mel, you have a question. Uh, my questions. last thing, I got a question about Boogie Nights. Like, how oh, was yeah. that? Oh, yeah, you did the uh, did you do you did the special effects on it? Did you do the uh, the 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 famous penis? Okay, <laughs> I will I will end on this little story. But okay. I, if you ever want want, call me up again and I'll tell you the ultimate boogie night story. It's about fifteen twenty minutes long. Oh, long and and uh, but I, I'll give you, I'll give you a quick one. So. I have um, no problem with having you on I, for a third time. <laughs> yeah, I want to oh, okay. about Paul <laughs> You become a regular thing. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so I was working with a company called... I, I'm working with a company called FDS Effects, and, and I'm coordinating, um, you know, uh, d- doing uh, the mechanical effects, like the bullet hits and that kind of stuff. And... and um, I get to the office, and I'm given a script by the secretary, and and she says, uh, we just got this through, uh, it's this film called Boogie Nights, um, we don't know a thing about it, the thing is, is the, 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 the production, the uh, production meeting is going on right now, that's the meeting where everybody sits around and does a read-through of the script, right? Mm-hmm. And it's going right now, and um, you're already late, and and so I take the script and I jam my way across town, and, and I get it. Now, here's the thing: the production read through is every film has the production read through, and what you do is. First, AD sits there and he goes. He he talks through the script scene by scene, right? And and you know he 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 talks through a script, through, talks through a scene, and then says, "So who's going to do what on this, right?" And 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 you have all the department heads sitting at the table, um, and and you kick the ideas around and you 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 let them know what you're doing or you know. Or you determine who's going to do this and who's going to do that, right? Mm-hmm. But there's the thing is, is people are always coming onto a film at different times, and so there's kind of a procedure for if you've got the script that day, right? And you're just showing up, and what you do is you walk in the door and you grab another script from the pile, like there's always a stack of them on, on a table uh, next to the read through, and uh, then they introduce you. You go well. This is Mick Strong, and he's our uh, mechanical effects uh, coordinator, and, and um, he just got on the show, right? You know, and and we were only like on the third or fourth shot, and so so what you do is you you put the read through script in, on the table in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. And you open it up, and that and you 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 make sure that that's following the uh, the first AD, right? But then, underneath the table, you t- you take the other script, and you lay it on your lap, and you try and get a couple of pages ahead, right? Right. Yep. And uh, so I'm I'm like you know doing the two script juggle, right? Da 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 da, da. and the and the script the uh, prop prop master 
is sitting right across from me. And this is a guy I know, and 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 we're going along, and and I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm desperately reading, and 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 commenting whenever I can on the script up here, but then reading ahead down here, and all of a sudden, as I'm reading ahead, <laughs> the script, the 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 uh, prop master is just staring at me, right? <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, I and, and I go and. Mark Wahlberg drops his pants, revealing his enormous penis. <laughs> and I just went, and it and it just absolutely stopped me. And I look up, and the prop master right across from me, he gets my eye, and he goes, yeah. And he reaches down, and he pulls up this bag, <laughs> this brown paper bag. And he slaps the paper bag down in front of me, and he goes, and here it is! And he pulls the bag <laughs> off of this enormous penis. <laughs> so the whole table is like, uh, and I got to just say, what the fuck am I getting myself into here? Wait a minute! <laughs> I just remember that they, they just at all of us are just like staring at this penis, and and basically it was just downhill from there. You know, yeah. I mean the, the whole film was just wild. It was just crazy. There was just this weird mix of um, porn stars and and regular uh, film people. Yeah, um, which is it, it's, it's not a. It's it's an odd combination in the town, yeah. you know, because they, they don't normally uh, work in the same circles. Right. It was weird. It was really <laughs> weird. And you know what? We'll we'll talk about the rest of the stories later on three. On part three. On, <laughs> on <yeah>. part three. <laughs> Mick, you let everybody know how they can find you on social media if they don't already follow oh. you. Well, you know what? You can always uh, go find my uh, uh, Mick, Mick Strong, uh, 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 find my uh, uh, Facebook page. And then if you really want to talk to me, uh, D- DM me first. And uh, because I get a lot of, uh, I get more uh, than my share of uh, of requests. And, and if you think it's important, DM me. And, and, and you know, it, it's sort of like a... Uh, um, Dar- Darwinistic deal, you know. If you DM me with something that's interesting enough, I'll cu- I'll get a hold of you. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you might just be in li- you might just be in the list with everybody else. <laughs> well, I thank you then for answering yeah. mine. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! Oh well, there you go. And, and I've got a book. I, I've got I've got a book called Behind the Screens. If you DM me. Uh, then uh, I'll see if I can get you one. I always, uh, it, it's funny because I, I usually just save them for, uh, for going out, um, when I do personal appearances and I, you know, try and sell a hundred of them or so. Um, well, I do have a birthday. And, uh, yeah. th- <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> and, yeah. and I do always insult people with it. And, and, uh, this is, I know I've said this many, many times, but you know, the book is 40, the book is $40. The insults are free. Um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, also I have two podcasts. I have the dream warrior review 
uh, and I have Rabbit Hole. I I have films coming up. Uh, you know, just a lot of stuff. Uh, there's always like uh, something screwy happening over here. You know. Yeah, get connected. I I, well. I I I bring my own madness. Nick, we thank you for coming <laughs> on our show doing. again. Yes, thank you, and sir. Well, I, thank you, guys. I, I, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. Thank you, and we appreciate you coming back and, you know, sitting down and chatting with us again and actually getting to talk and not ending two seconds into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good to go. Uh, never, I swear to God, I, there is not much that surprises me the last time. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but I just like clicked over Oh. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, maybe we could uh, uh, continue. Well, we'll continue this as, you know. I hope so. Down yeah. the line. Yeah, yeah, hope so. Okay. Thank you for okay. Hey. Again tonight, and we want to thank all our <laughs> listeners for tuning in and listening, and yes. we hope you all stay safe out there. And this is Mel. Yeah, Signing off for shock treatment. Mick, you wanted to say something? Bye, guys. There it is. Yeah, you know me. I just never stop. I'm not Robert. Bye. Uh, that's why. I, that's why when you asked, I told you not to worry about it. If you went long, we went long. We could have made it a two-part show from just the one because we don't have a timer now. We're gonna do an eight-hour marathon. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, that will be, uh, be for a good cause, though. Yeah, yeah. Guy. Next time, I expect to be on video. You know, you got to be able to see when I when I gesture and and you know my hair flipping. Are you out. still wearing your okay. tinfoil hat? I am not because it's really <laughs> hot in my office right now. <laughs> I. <laughs> I, I would melt with the tinfoil hat on. You guys, you guys have been great. I, I, I really love coming, coming on your stuff. Well, thank you. Thank you. Love having you. Yeah. <laughs> well, next time get a video, get a video thing set up. The future. That we're working on it. Yeah, I, I, I turned rabbit hole uh, into a video thing just, just this year, and uh, it, it's, uh, I, I like being on video. You, you can imagine that my big movements, my, my big voice has big movements that go with it. <laughs> hey, loose guys, I'll talk to you later. All right, have Bye, a good Nick, one. Have a good night. Okay, you too, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Stay safe. Wait a minute. <laughs> hey man, I, I, I can be brief. Eh, I really can't anyway, so there you go.